Thank you, Doug. Once again, good morning. If you are here this morning as a visitor at Greensburg Baptist Church, once again, we want to say welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we are so glad that you came out to worship Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you have been with us for a while, you know I spent nine weeks in the book First John. We completed that sermon series a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the book of Second John, and it was only 13 short verses, but it was 13 very powerful verses, and as you might expect, we are going to be taking a look at the book of Third John today. Similarly, it is a short book, on this time 15 verses, but they are 15 very powerful verses. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, take them and open them to the book of Third John. And as you are turning there, I want to remind you that John wrote this book during the same general time frame that he wrote the books of First and Second John during the time period of A.D. 70 to 95, early in the first century. And you'll probably remember, especially if you have been here for any of the sermons in the First John series or fewer here last week. You know, in the book of 1 John, there was indeed a recurring theme that we saw up here over and over and over again throughout the pages of 1 John. And it was this, God is light and God is love. And the believers show their love for God by actually loving each other. And then as we took a look at the book of 2 John last week, we saw that those 13 verses also had a theme that was very easy to see in and through those 13 verses, and it was this, love one another and remain in the truth. Now, as we look at the theme for Third John, it does indeed have a theme, and it's this, believers should show humility and hospitality toward one another. Now, if you were to compare the theme of Third John to the theme of First and Second John, what word do you not see in the theme of Third John that we saw in First and Second John, love, absolutely. I'm glad you noticed that, and I want to tell you the type of love that John is referring to, excuse me, the type of humility and hospitality that John is referring to in Third John. You see, I believe it's only possible if we have experienced the love that he talks about in First and Second John. And before we look at our scripture this morning, I want to take just a quick uh, opportunity to tell you how John lays out these 15 verses. He begins with a greeting. That's very common for how John writes. And then he gives us a brief look into the lives of three different men. And we'll be talking about those in detail here in just a moment. And then he concludes the book in verses 13 through 15. So at this point, if you are physically able to stand, I want to invite you to stand with us this morning to honor the reading of God's Word. And I do want to remind you, this is indeed the Word of God. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. 
For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for bringing us to your house for this moment on this day. Father, now I pray that you will open our minds, allow us to hear and understand, and I pray that you'll open our hearts to receive your message this morning. Father, I pray that you will hide me behind your cross this morning. I pray that I will preach in the, power, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that your anointing will be upon me this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be your words and not mine. Father, as always, I pray that if there is anyone hearing my voice right now that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they make the most important decision of their life. May we leave here rejoicing today because of that we have seen salvation in this place. Father, may everything point to you and may Jesus be glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray these things. You may be seated. The title of this morning's message is this, No Greater Joy. No Greater Joy. Now through these 15 verses in the book of 3 John, John is going to give us a snapshot into the lives of three different men. And as we take a look at these three men, I just want to say from the beginning, how you conduct your life matters. How you conduct your life matters. You've heard me say so many times that people are always watching us specifically. Non-believers are watching us. They want to see how people who call themselves Christians react when things might necessarily go their way. During those times, in times of adversity, in times where things didn't go the way we planned, what are we showing the people who are looking? Are we showing them something that looks very similar to their life, or are we showing them Jesus? May our lives always be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Now, the first man that we're going to look at this morning is a man named Gaius. And John lets us see the influence that this man has. First of all, he tells us that he loves this man. He loves this man named Gaius, and he loves him in the truth. And when he says here, whom I love in truth. 
He is saying that he loves Gaius as a fellow believer, one who has heard the truth, one who has made the decision to follow the truth and actually walk in that truth. See, Gaius not only knows the truth, but he's committed to it. He is committed to it. And I wonder this morning, is that you? And then we see in verse 2 that John prays that all may go well with this man named Gaius, that he might be in good health, and then he prays for his soul. He prays for his soul. You see, John was not only interested in the, in the physical health of this man named Gaius, he was also interested in his spiritual health. Church, we've got to be too. We have got to be interested in the spiritual health of people, those people that we come face-to-face with on the street, whether or not we know them or not, we should be concerned for where they will spend eternity. You know, let's face it, they will spend eternity in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And I am convinced, as you've heard me say many times, if we want to see true revival, not just a series of meetings that we put the name of revival on. If we want to see and experience true revival, then we must be as burdened, as concerned for the spiritual health of strangers as we are for our closest family members. I wonder, when is the last time that we've woke up in the middle of the night because we're burdened about where someone is going to spend eternity? I wonder, do we carry that burden this morning? Or are we just okay because we know that we're going to be in heaven if we're a Christian? And so everything else will just work itself out. Everything else will not just work itself out. We must present the gospel. We must be a reflection of Jesus to all of those that we come in contact with. Then in verse 3, John says, I rejoice greatly when, when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And as indeed you are walking in the truth. And then he goes on to say, I have no greater joy, no greater joy than to hear that my children are what? Walking in the truth. Now what John is talking about here, he's not talking about biological children that he has right now. Guess who he's talking about? Everyone who has heard the gospel message under his preaching. Everyone who has said, I accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to follow him. They are his spiritual children. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And church, I'm going to tell you, for for the vast majority of my lifetime, here's what I've seen out of most churches in the United States. We want people to be saved. We want people to be saved. We get them to church. We, we do our best to lead them and introduce them to Jesus Christ. And we rejoice when that happens, as we should. But then what happens after that? In most churches, nothing. We move on to the next person. Let's get somebody else saved. We've got to realize that those people at the moment of salvation, regardless of how old physically they might be, They are a spiritual infant. 
And we have got to be willing to walk beside them, to show them what it looks like to walk with Jesus Christ on good days, on bad days, and every day in between. Are we doing that? Who are you walking with? Who are we walking with as a church this morning? You know, none of us, I feel certain that none of us would bring an infant home from the hospital and put them in a room and do nothing else for them. We'd be arrested if we did that. We know that child demands their attention. They demand it. And let me tell you something. I want to take it a step further. Whether a new Christian actually opens their mouth and says, I need you or not. Whether they open their mouth and say, help me or not. That's the cry of their heart. They need someone to walk beside them. Church, let's walk beside people through the process of discipleship. And then we too can say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, not only is Gaius walking in the truth, he's also a very generous man. If you were here last Sunday and heard last Sunday's sermon, you heard me describe travel in the first century. And by the way, that's where we are in our text today. We're in the first century. Travel was difficult. If you wanted to go from point A to point B, you did not get in a car and drive there. You didn't. You did not go to an airport and get on a plane and fly there. Travel was difficult. So traveling preachers, traveling teachers, traveling missionaries, what they had to do is make the difficult journey to where they were going. And all along the way, they depended on people to both house them and feed them. And then also after they arrived at their destination, they depended on the same thing. They depended on people to house them and feed them. And then all on their journey back home, they depended on the same thing, people to house them and feed them. Gaius is one of those people. He is one of those people. He has shown wonderful hospitality, even though these people were strangers to him. But they have come back. They have come back and they have testified of this man named Gaius. People will remember. People will remember how we treat them. In so many situations, our actions far outlive us. Our actions far outlive our physical lives. In this particular instance, we are talking about the actions of a man who lived early in the first century. And here we are talking about him on February 4th, 2024, long after his life. I wonder this morning, how will you be remembered? Now, these traveling ministers, these traveling missionaries, they had gone out for the sake of the name. Did you catch that? That sounds familiar to anybody. Amen. And I hope this morning, when you hear that, for the sake of the name, you know that was a phrase that was so very, very important to Brother Blake and Emily Jesse as they were following the Lord in obedience to become missionaries. They went for the sake of the name. And you know, whatever we do, we should go in the same manner for the sake of the name. And then John reminds them here that we didn't accept anything from the Gentiles. What he's saying when he mentions Gentiles here is that we didn't accept anything from non-believers. Then 
John tells us, hey, by the way, we should support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And now in verses 9 through 11, John gives us a snapshot look into the life of a very different man, a man named Diotrephes. Diotrephes. Now we see, we see here that, he's writ- that John has written something to the church, but Diotrephes, this man, he says he, he likes to put himself first. He doesn't acknowledge John's authority. He does not acknowledge John's authority. You see, Diotrephes is so unlike Gaius, where Gaius was hospitable. He was a kind person. Diotrephes was a man that was filled with pride. And I want to remind us just a moment, one thing that we see in God's Word about pride. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me tell you this morning, you don't want God to oppose you. You do not want God to oppose you. So we better be humble. And then John says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And then he goes on and describes this situation in more detail. Diotrephes is not even content with that. And he's going further. He refuses to welcome these traveling teachers, these traveling missionaries, these traveling evangelists that John is describing as the brothers. He does that. He stops them. And look what else he does. And also stops those who wants to. He stops those within the church that wants to welcome these people. And what's he do with them? Puts them out of the church. He puts them out of the church. Now, this man named Diotrephes, he was using this self-proclaimed position to try to force the other people to also be inhospitable. And let me tell you something. I don't know whether or not this man named Diotrephes was a believer or not. He could have been. He could have been a believer. Let's face it, believers don't always get it right, do they? We make mistakes from time to time. We can't tell from the Scripture whether or not Diotrephes was truly a follower of Jesus or not. But here's what we can realize from this Scripture today. At the very least, Diotrephes had a spiritual blind spot. He had a spiritual blind spot. And it causes me to wonder, I think we need to ask, each ask ourselves the question, what spiritual blind spots might we have? What spiritual blind spots might we have? And I'm going to tell you, if you're quick to say, I don't have any, you better look closer. You better take a closer look. Please don't let that question go in one ear and out the other. I I pray that we will all stop and evaluate our lives and ask ourselves the question, what spiritual blind spots might we have? Now, the final man that John gives us a snapshot into the life of is a man named Demetrius. Demetrius. And we're going to see that John commends him. So, Demetrius has received a what? A good testimony. From who? 
everyone, everyone, and also from the truth itself. And I'll tell you, that, that final part there, that's actually more important than the first part. But while we're on the first part, is there anybody in your life that you can think of that has a good testimony from everyone? That there is not one person on earth that would say anything bad about them? You'd probably have to think a long time, wouldn't you? I'm not saying that you wouldn't say anything bad about them, but do you know anybody that nobody would say anything bad about them? We'd probably be thinking a long time. Even the people that we've had the pleasure of our eyes seeing follow Jesus Christ, people that I would describe as a saint, there's likely some people on this earth that they've ticked off in their lifetime and they would tell you about it. That is the human nature of people, unfortunately. Shouldn't be, but that's what it is. But this man named Demetrius, he was truly above reproach. He received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And then John adds to that and said, we're adding our testimony. And you know, and you know that our testimony is true. I wonder, would people describe us like that? If, you fill in the blank, if John Doe said that, we know it's true. He said, if Todd Young said that, we know it's true. If Tony Jewell says that, we know it's true. If James Bonta says that, we know it's true. I could name people on and on and on and on. But is that what people think of us? Or, or do they think something else? Remember, we've got the responsibility to point people towards Jesus and to the cross. We must do that in all that we do. But I'll tell you, I want, I want to be remembered as someone who stood on the Word of God, who refused to deviate from it, who showed people Jesus Christ in good times and bad times and in every time in between. Now, finally, in our text today, we're going to see that John wraps up this letter, and it sounds remarkably similar to how he ended the book of Second John. He said, I've got more I want to tell you. I've got more that I need to tell you, but I really do not want to use a pen and ink to do it. I want to come, and I want to come soon and tell you so we can talk face-to-face. And just as I reminded you last week, face-to-face is always better. It is always better. So, so often... We fall into the trap of using this to communicate, and I'm not talking about calling somebody on it. We'll text somebody on it. It seems easy, it seems quick, and let's face it, it is. But it is just near impossible to gauge the tone in which a text was written or intended. Let's have those face-to-face conversations. Let's not hide behind a screen of any type. And then finally, verse 15 I want us to be sure that we don't miss this. John offers them peace. Peace. And I want to tell you the type of peace that he is talking about here, I'm convinced it's the the same type of peace that Paul describes in chapter 5 of the book of Romans. He is talking about peace with God. Peace 
with God. I wonder, do you have peace with God today? If you don't, you can. That's the good news. If you don't have peace with God, you can have that today. Don't leave this place thinking, I'll do that tomorrow, or I'll come back Wednesday night, or I'll come back next Sunday. I'll do it then. You might not have those other opportunities. This might be the final opportunity that you have. Let's face it, you could be killed in a car wreck on your way home. Do you have peace with God? And then as, as John concludes this book, the third John, he says, the friends greet you. And then he tells them, greet the friends, each by name. Greet the friends, each by name. Now, we've got the same responsibility to do that. Relationships are important. They are so important. When somebody comes up to you, if they're able to look you in the eye and call you by name and say, how is it with your family? You feel like they know who you are, don't you? Now, would that make you feel better than somebody that comes up to you and they think, I don't have any idea who they are. I don't know what to say. So I'm not going to say anything. And you know, so often that's what happens. We've got to be hospitable. Yeah, we'll, we'll call people by the wrong name sometimes. In fact, I called somebody by the wrong name last week and praise God they're here again this week. <laughs> it happens. It happens. But we've got to have the conversation. We have got to open our mouths and have the conversation. We have got to be willing to greet the people. And we've got to be willing to learn their names. Relationships are important. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus knows your name. He knows your name. He knows your name. That's a wonderful thought this morning. As we go into our time of invitation this morning, I just want to ask you one more time, have you experienced the peace of God? Is that alive within you this morning, the peace of God? If not, I pray that you will come forward, kneel at the foot of the cross, give that to Jesus. He still offers peace. And I want to tell you this morning, one of my favorite three words of the Bible is when Jesus uttered the command to the winds and the waves, peace be still. Three words. Three words, peace be still. But if you read that account from Scripture, what happened? The winds and the waves, they instantly, they immediately obeyed Him. And can I tell you something this morning? He still speaks those same three words, peace be still. Are we asking Him to? Sometimes we need to ask Him, Lord, please speak those words. Now, the outcome might be different than what you thought, But his peace is his peace. And once you have that, life looks completely different. Life looks completely different once you truly have his peace. Then also in the invitation, if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that is the biggest problem that you have, whether or not you realize it. There is no greater problem than walking in the face of this earth and not knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not knowing when your life's going to end. Your biggest problem, if you are here this morning and don't know Jesus Christ, your biggest problem is that you're lost. You are separated right now from God. 
And I want to tell you, if you are here this morning, you don't know Jesus, I pray that you will come forward. I would love to introduce you to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would absolutely love to do that. And let me tell you, there are a multitude of other people here this morning that would love to do the same thing. So if you don't know Jesus, please come forward. And finally this morning, perhaps some of you are carrying burdens. Burdens for a lost person. Burdens for something that's going on in your family. Burdens for people who are grieving right now. Let's face it, over the last seven days, church, we've lost two people from within our congregation. One of their funerals were yesterday. The other one's here in just a few minutes at 1 o'clock this afternoon. Those families are grieving right now. Now, they're doing well, but they've lost a family member. To my knowledge, the funeral of our oldest member at GBC is this afternoon. She was 102. If she had lived to the end of February, she would have been 103. But let me tell you now, age doesn't matter with her anymore. She is in the presence of her Lord and Savior, just like we will be someday. We're each going to stand in front of Him. And we will either hear Him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or we will hear Him say, Depart from me, I never knew you. It's one of the two that each of us will hear. Which will it be for you? I pray this morning that we will use this altar. And I pray that we will see salvation in this place today. And I pray that we will see Him lift burdens. Would you pray with me this morning, please? Father, thank you so much for giving us this day. Father, thank you for being our wonderful Savior. Father, I pray now during this time of invitation, would you move mightily? Will you do the immeasurably more than our minds can even think to ask or imagine? May you lift burdens. May you offer peace. May you save the lost. Again, I just pray that you will do the immeasurably more. Father, I pray that we will lift here, leave here today rejoicing because of the great things that you have done. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray these things. Amen.